Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Good evening, everybody who is listening to this podcast live. It is Friday night, December 1st. I just got back from a golf cart Christmas parade, which is an annual tradition here in my neighborhood out in Puerto Rico. But I think the real significance of this day is it's the day that gold finally made a new all-time record high, although today's record, I believe, will be broken many, many times over. I believe the old record high was around 22,080. And we got above that today, interday, I believe. We closed at 2,071, up $35 on the day. And, you know, by the way, yesterday was the last day of November. And gold closed above 2,000 on that day. And that was the first time in history that the price of gold has closed any month above 2000. So it was a, the highest close for a month and it was the first close above 2000. And we had a great first day of, uh, of uh, December with a $35 rally. Silver also up, not nearly as much, up 16 cents at $25 and 43 cents. As I said on my last podcast, I think silver uh, is a particularly good buy right here because gold is at a record high and silver would have to double to hit its record high. So that tells me that gold, that silver rather, is very cheap. You know, the gold mining stocks too, they were up today, but on a percentage basis, they were actually up less than gold. Now, normally that would not be the case. On a big up day in gold, you would expect the gold mining stocks to be up even more because after all, these are forward-looking investments that are going to be leveraged to the price of gold. Typically, when you have a big move up in gold, you have an even bigger move up in the gold mining stocks. But this has not been a typical bull market. Clearly, it is a bull market. By definition, gold is at an all-time record high. So it can't not be in a bull market when you're at an all-time record high. Yet gold stocks are not even anywhere close to their all-time record highs. In fact, gold stocks would have to go up another 12% just to hit a 52-week high, let alone a record high. Uh, So this market has been climbing a proverbial wall of worry. 
because stock investors have been skeptical of this rally the whole time. It's like the Rodney Dangerfield bull market. It gets no respect. It's because the gold stock investors keep expecting gold prices to go down. And so they're factoring that into the gold stock price. Because when they're looking forward to try to figure out what stocks will be worth in the future, what their earnings will be worth, they're factoring in a lower gold price. Because nobody has confidence that the price of gold is going to rise. That's what's so atypical about this rally. Because normally, gold stocks lead the metal. You go back to all the prior bull markets, and that's how it is. Gold stocks move before the metal. Investors correctly anticipate that gold's going to rally, and they price that into the stocks, and then gold rallies. But gold has rallied uh, despite the fact that you haven't had any kind of confirmation from the mining stocks. It's like instead of the mining stocks leading, gold has been dragging the mining stocks, and they've been reluctant to go along. It's like they're pulling these mining stocks, and you know they're, they're, they're barely moving. And to me, this just reinforces my bullishness that you have so much bearishness on the part of investors. Now, the question is, when are investors going to wake up to the reality that gold prices are going much higher? You know, $2,000 gold, even though this is a record high, adjusted for inflation, even the government's you know, version of inflation, the CPI, which maybe captures half of the inflation that the government creates, I'm not even sure where the price of gold would have to be to hit a high adjusted for the CPI. It's probably at least 3000 I, I, I could probably look it up. I don't know what it is. But we are going to get there. But the fact that we're still so far below that inflation-adjusted high lets you know how cheap gold remains despite the fact that it's above 2000 So it could move up very quickly, very fast. And that is what I expect to happen. The question is, how high is gold going to have to go before the bears throw in the towel and start buying these gold mining stocks? Because all these investors, head funds, uh, big endowments, pension funds, they're not invested. They're, they're not in this market at all. At some point, they're going to wake up to this reality. And again, I think it's going to be uh, an economic awakening because I think we're going to see the economy become much weaker in a way that is easily easy to discern when you're going to see a big pickup in unemployment and a big deceleration in the GDP. You know, we did get the GDP numbers, by the way. They came out on Wednesday. And the markets were excited that it was 5.2% growth for the quarter. Remember, they annualized the numbers. So it's not like the economy grew by 5.2% in that quarter. They just multiplied the quarterly number by four, and they get 5.2%. And everybody was excited about that. But if you actually look at the components of GDP, which is government spending, personal spending, uh, a, a, a business investment, and then you plus or minus the trade, the trade, which in, in America's case is always a negative. 
uh, because we have a huge trade deficit. We got those numbers again this week, too, and they were worse than expected. But government spending accounted for 5.5% of the 5.2% increase. But that means if, you don't, if government spending hadn't increased at all, if government spending had just stayed the same, the GDP would have gone down by 0.3. So in other words, but for government spending, the economy contracted. Now, where did the government get the money that it spent? It borrowed it. So the only reason we had positive GDP was because the government borrowed a bunch of money and spent it. That is not economic growth. The country is not better off because we went deeper into debt to spend money on consumption, because that's what the people who got the money from the government did with it. They spent it, right? The government didn't build any factories. The government didn't take that money and increase the productive capacity of the nation. The money just got spent. But now the money has been spent, and all that remains is the debt. And so when people want to look at the economy and and look at the GDP and say, oh, we had this GDP growth, yeah, but we also had a commensurate growth in the national debt. And so now we have a much bigger debt as a result of this phony economic growth because it's not real economic growth. We just spent borrowed money, and what grew is our debt. And the debt is exploding, and so that's the only reason we're really not in recession. You know, when everybody wants to brag, and I'm going to get to, you know, a pal a little bit later because he, he talked today, uh, bragging about the U.S. economy. And um, the only reason we're not in a recession is because the government is spending all this borrowed money. But the piper is going to have to be paid for this phony economic growth, and it's going to be paid with inflation. And that's how you know that the price of gold is going much, much higher uh, than 2000. I think it's going to have an explosive move before it kind of starts trading uh, at, in, 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 a, in a more steady and slower upward trajectory. But I think we have to move up quite a bit uh, to shock investors into getting involved in this market, and they will, but at much higher prices, I think, and uh, particularly for the, the, uh, the mining stocks. Because Again, they are extremely cheap, in my opinion, relative to gold. Not just where gold is now, but where gold is likely to be in the very near future. And in fact, another thing that happened uh, this week that is very bullish for gold stocks is that oil prices actually backed off and oil is back down to $74 a barrel. And so we had relief on the oil front. Oil prices went down while gold prices went up. That's bullish for the mining stocks because it takes energy to mine gold. Rising oil prices, where oil prices were going up and gold wasn't, have been a headwind for these gold stocks. In fact, look at Newmont Mining. I tweeted about this 15 days ago. 15 days ago, Newmont Mining hit a 52-week low. 15 days before gold itself hit a all-time record high. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of Newmont. I don't even think you've had a situation where Newmont has made a 52-week low and then 15 trading days later, gold hit a 52-week high. 
Now, Newmont Mining has risen about 24% in those 15 days, but I still think it needs to rise another 20, 30% to hit a 52-week high. Now, this is the gold mining stock that you would think investors would be buying. It's the only gold stock in the S&P 500. Uh, it's the U.S. company. Uh, it would be the type of stock that institutional investors would be buying if they were buying gold stocks, which they're not. But again, the fact that a marquee name like Newmont Mining could be sold off to a 52-week low in an environment that is so incredibly bullish for gold, right? You couldn't imagine economic conditions being more favorable, especially now that the Fed is done hiking. In fact, now the markets are pricing in, I think, an 80% probability that the Fed cuts in March. So not only are they done hiking, they're about to start cutting, but inflation has nowhere, is nowhere near 2%, and it's probably done going down, and it's about to go up. Especially, look at the dollar, another down week in the dollar. We barely held a 103 handle. It got saved by the BS rally we had yesterday in the dollar, uh, but it was still another down week. But the dollar is getting ready to go through the floor, and that means gold is getting ready to go through the roof. We got a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts will take it from there. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom gold and use the promo code gold at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash gold, code gold. All right, so before the break, I was talking about the GDP numbers for Q3 at 5.2, all of which, of course, was government spending. But the Atlanta Fed has already dramatically reduced their forecast for Q4 GDP now looking for just 1.2% uh, in the fourth quarter. That is a huge slowdown from Q3. But we have all the other economic data. The weekly jobless claims numbers, again, still are pretty low at 218,000. But the continuing claims just hit a fresh multi-year high. So what that means is that when people lose their jobs, it's taking them a long time to find another one. Now, the fact that people are staying unemployed for so long, that belies the idea that we have a strong labor market. They keep talking about the strong labor market, including Powell again today, about the strong labor market. Well, if it's such a strong labor market, why is it taking people so long to get a new job when they lose their old job? And of course, when they lose their job, they tend to lose a good job and they replace it with a lousy job. In fact, the job they get is so lousy, they knew two or three of them 
uh, just to make up for the one good job uh, that they lost. So the economy is shrinking. All of the the, the numbers are screaming stagflation, which is what I have been uh, talking about for a long, long time. You know, by the way, I I read this article uh, today. Uh, um, Kevin O'Leary, a.k.a. Mr. Wonderful, was quoted as saying that something is happening that nobody saw coming, right? Nobody predicted this. And he's talking about the problem in commercial real estate and the fact that you have all these vacancies and prices are falling and now banks are in trouble. I mean, what do you mean? What does he mean nobody saw this coming? I mean, I saw this coming from a mile away. I mean, Kevin O'Leary ought to know that I saw it coming. He follows me on Twitter. I've been tweeting about it or, or posting about it now that it's no longer Twitter. But these things were obvious and they're happening. And that, 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 that problem is still festering. It's, it's, it's going to blow up. But that's another thing that is going to be stagflationary and bullish for the, uh, the gold market. Now, of course, the, the bond market still doesn't get it because bonds rallied quite a bit from their lows. In fact, the yield on a 30-year treasury is back down to 4.4. We were at 5%. And on a 10-year, it's 4.226. That was above 5%. Now, why are bond investors buying or why are the shorts covering in in the bond market? Because they think, oh, the Fed's going to start cutting rates. The economy is weak. But the weak economy, it's not going to be the same as what we had in these prior cycles because inflation and budget deficits are going to explode in this next economic downturn. And that is going to result in a very different outcome for bonds because inflation is the bond killer. And so investors should not be buying bonds because the economy is going into recession. They should be buying gold. Gold is the safe haven, not bonds. There is no safety in bonds when the threat is inflation because that is the threat. An economic slowdown or a recession financial crisis causes more inflation. That's what nobody seems to get, including uh, Chair Powell. In fact, maybe this is a good time to transition into uh, Powell's uh, comments. Say, I mean, a lot of people thought that you know, some of the things that Powell said today was a catalyst, and not just gold. I mean, the Dow Jones hit a 52-week high today. It was up about 300 points or almost. It was the only major stock market index to hit a 52-week high on the day. Uh, but, you know, it was a huge month for stocks uh, in, um, in November. I don't uh, have all the numbers. I was too busy, uh, you know, to try to compile them. But I know it was a big month. It's a, it was, you know, the best month maybe in years. Uh, for November, which is typically, you know, seasonally, November is a strong month. A lot of times you have weakness in uh, September, October timeframe, and then you get a, a rebound November and probably December too. You get, you know, they call it a Santa Claus uh, rally. And a lot of times people start buying back some of the stocks they sold uh, when they were harvesting their, their tax losses. But this big move up in everything uh, was the result of the market's Uh, perceiving that the Fed is done hiking and it's back to the same old, same old. We're going to have, you know, rate cuts and 
Maybe they're going to go back to quantitative easing. In fact, they're going to have to go back to quantitative easing. Uh, but it's not going to have the, so, the benign, the apparently benign effect because the inflation genie is out of the bottle. And that you know, destroys the party uh, because everything is going to go right into consumer prices now because the dollar is going to tank as the markets come to term with this. And then commodity prices are going to explode and you're going to start to see big increases in the, the CPI. In fact, you know, one of the things that Powell mentioned, uh, and he got a few laughs, you know, he, he, he gave a short speech and then did a Q&A at Spelman College, which is the Atlanta College. It's, uh, you know, pretty much all black, all female uh, college. Uh, and so he was down there talking to uh, the students. And I think the last question he was asked before they opened it up and he took questions from the students. Initially, he gave a little talk, and then I guess there was a faculty member who followed up and asked him a few questions, and then she opened it up to the student body, and there was a few questions there. Uh, and the students actually asked some pretty decent questions. The problem was his answers, not so much their questions, so, although some of them were focused uh, on what he's going to do about uh, uh, income inequality, uh, you know, for race, for you know, black income inequality, which, which is nothing. There's nothing he could do, although his policies are undermining uh, income inequality. He just doesn't realize it because inflation is doing a lot of damage, and, and I'll get to that. But um, the last question I think the, the faculty member asked him, she said, hey, what do you do for fun? How, how do you have fun? You know, what, you know, and he said that the way he has fun is um, – a good inflation report. He said it doesn't get any better than that, right? So the most fun that uh, Jerome Powell has in his life is when they get a good inflation report. And I feel pretty badly because he's not going to be having a lot of fun. He's going to be having uh, a lot of uh, misery uh, if that's the opposite of fun because he's going to be getting bombarded with negative inflation reports. I mean, he may be hoping that he's going to have fun uh, with a good report. But, you know, it's been a while, really, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, since we've had a good report. Again, even the way the Fed measures it, core CPI is still about 3.5%. And again, prices are rising on top of all the previous increases. That is not relief. And by the time the Fed gets inflation down to 2%, which they're not going to do, but even if you look at their own projections, they're saying they're going to get it back down to 2% in like 2025 or 2026, which they're not going to do. But even if they do, think about how much prices would have gone up from 2021 to 2026. That's a big increase while you're waiting for, price, for inflation to come down to only 2%. Uh, and then it's going to keep going up. But I want to talk about some of the stuff that he said. First of all, he, he led, again by talking about how strong the economy is. We've got this great economy. In fact, he said that our economy is, you know, the, the envy of the world or the shining star. I think it was the shining star of the global economy. Like, since the pandemic, we've had the best economy in the world, according to uh, Jerome Powell, right? And not only did he say we've had a great economy, but he said that we've been more successful 
in bringing down inflation. So we've had more growth and less inflation. So, you know, we're the star. You know, we win the gold star, uh, which is wrong. The only reason that we've had this so-called growth is because we've had even bigger growth in our national debt. Right? We've built up a tremendous amount of debt uh, that is about to weigh down this phony economy. And the only reason I think that we have had the progress on bringing down the CPI relative to Europe or other places is the dollar strength. That's what helped us. The dollar went up based on all the tough talk. That's what brought down prices. That's what brought down our, our CPI. Not, not anything the Fed did. It was the market. Now, you can say, well, it's because the Fed hiked rates, right? That, that, that got the markets going. But it was the strength of the dollar that did it. Well, now the weakness of the dollar is going to undo it. See, this is the irony of the Fed's inflation fight. The minute every, anyone thinks the Fed has won, it's lost. Because the minute the fight is over, well, there's no more rate hikes. And it's the rate hikes that were keeping the dollar up, the anticipation of rate hikes. Well, when the markets start anticipating rate cuts, well, the dollar is going to tank. And the tanking dollar is going to send prices for commodities, oil, gold, everything way up. And now the CPI is going to start to be moving in the other direction. But by then, the economy is going to be tanking too. And of course, we're going to get closer to the uh, 2024 election. And the Fed's going to be caught between a rock and a hard place. But we know from history what they're going to do. They are going to try to stimulate the economy. Inflation be damned. You know, one of the things that Powell also did in, this, uh, in his talk is he praised Congress for passing the CARES Act unanimously. He was like, oh, this was great. You know, we got the CARES Act and everybody voted for it. And he did that right after he talked about the hardship that inflation has created. Well, why does he think inflation is so bad? Or maybe he doesn't understand. The CARES Act was the catalyst. That's the reason that inflation is here. So you can't say the CARES Act was great, but then say that inflation is bad because inflation was what we got when we passed the CARES Act. I mean, maybe they should have called the CARES Act. Who cares about inflation? Because only people who couldn't give a damn about inflation would have voted for the CARES Act. And Powell supported it. He wholeheartedly supported it. In fact, he was basically arguing. He was pounding the table back then for the government to run bigger deficits to stimulate the economy so he could print more money and create more inflation. In fact, when he was explaining inflation to the students, he said, yeah, inflation was contained pretty well. And then all of a sudden in 2021, it spiked up. And now the Fed is, you know, we're really working hard uh, to get rid of it as if it just spiked up like out of the blue for no reason. The Fed did it. It's like saying, well, there was this big fire that all of a sudden, you know, erupted. And he, and he doesn't mention, you know, yeah, but we lit it. We started that fire. That's why it erupted. It didn't just spontaneously combust. The Fed, you know, you know, put all the kindling there and then poured a bunch of gasoline on it and then lit the match. Right. That's why uh, it, it, it exploded. Uh, but he's trying to claim that he's got nothing to do with it. Uh, but he's just the fireman 
to put out the fire when he's the guy that lit the fire. And they're not really putting it out, right? They're, they're putting it out with gasoline, which means it's, it's going to get even bigger. Now, a couple of things. He said the Fed was moving cautiously, right, because they don't want to over-tighten. You know, maybe that's what the markets liked. He acknowledged that their policy works with a lag. Uh, of course, it worked with a lag when he was creating the inflation, too. You know, that's why it took longer. Uh, but he hasn't done enough. In fact, financial conditions last month have eased considerably. Uh, if you look at the markets, I, I read, I think it's the equivalent of like four rate cuts based on financial conditions easing on their own. So he's talking about how, you know, we've got this tight money policy. We actually don't. It's just not as easy as it once was, but it's not tight and it's not going to stop inflation. In fact, you know, inflation is going to uh, continue to, uh, to pick up. Now, of course, you know, one of the students did ask him, uh, you know, what, what people could do to help narrow this uh, wealth gap between white and black Americans. And the only thing that Powell could come up with, the only answer, which is generally, you know, the kiss butt type of answer that you get, uh, especially when you're speaking at a university, is education. He says, yes, the ticket is education. People have to go and stay in school more. They just need, uh, uh, you know, a degree. And that's what they need. And, and that's not what they need. I mean, just going through the machinations of the U.S. educational, you know, indoctrination system and getting some worthless liberal arts degree isn't going to do crap <laughs> as far as the income inequality. I mean, education has been oversold as, as, as uh, the ticket to uh, success in America. Sure, certain professions, you need uh, a college or an advanced degree, but the vast majority of people are wasting their time and wasting their money. Actually, it's not even their money. It's taxpayer money. <laughs> They're wasting their time and other people's money uh, you know, on worthless degrees. What, what Powell really could do uh, to uh, help uh, you know, level the playing field or, you know, lower the, the, the you know, the, 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 the wealth gap is to stop creating inflation. That's what he needs to do. In fact, all of the, you know, the questions that he gets and he's there, you know, and he's talking and the students actually think that he, he he's there to help the economy. Like he, he's there to, to you know, to, to push all the right buttons and solve all the problems. And, and, and what's even worse than the students thinking that that's his job, he thinks that's his job. Powell thinks that he's in charge and that his decisions are what guides us to economic growth. That if the Fed just gets it right and they guess the appropriate interest rate or the appropriate money supply, that the things that they do that's what's going to cause economic growth. That's what's going to create wealth. No, it's not. If, if you understand capitalism, you understand that is complete BS. The Fed has no role in that whatsoever. If you want to have maximum uh, prosperity enjoyed by the most people, then you want to have sound money. You don't want to turn over the monetary decisions 
to the equivalent of a Politburo. You don't want central planners in an office sitting in a room making decisions that are supposed to be made in a free market. Because when government bureaucrats make decisions, they are wrong. They are never smarter than the market. And they're always guided by politics. Right? As much as they want to profess uh, independence and, 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 and tout you know, uh, their independence, they're not. They're political creatures. And they act based on political motives. And that's what Powell, and that's what everybody has been doing. And that's, that's why central planners will never get it right. You need capitalism. You need a free market to discover what the appropriate rate of interest is and how resources and labor need to be allocated, not, not, not government bureaucrats. And that's what, that's what Powell is. He's a bureaucrat, right? And he thinks he, he can micromanage the economy into prosperity. It's a disaster. The end result is going to be runaway inflation, maybe even hyperinflation, and we're not too far from that happening. Anyway, we got one more break. We'll be right back. In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. I want to make an announcement, although if you follow me on Twitter, you might have already noticed it. If you don't follow me on Twitter, you should follow me. You know, I'm getting close to a million. I'm almost at 800, I mean, 985,000 followers. So about 15,000 followers left to hit a million. It'd be great if I can get there by the end of this year. It's possible. You know, I, I have a full month of December to add uh, 15,000 followers. I've had months where I've gained more than 15,000 followers. So it just depends. But if everybody makes an effort who is not following me to following me, and then you know, get a couple of friends to follow me too. Right? So if you do that, you'll you'll help your friends, you know, they'll get informed. Uh, you know, by the way, I, I found out, I don't know if anybody uh, watches this show on on uh, on on showtime. Um I'm trying to remember the name of it now. Um the, the, the curse, the I, I tweeted about it. I, ha I had I got to start watching it though. Um, in any event, um, but they're on the fourth episode of the first of the first season. The, the curse, the curse. That's it. The curse. <laughs> um, and um, the main character, 
is uh, in his kitchen. He's basically about to heat up some frozen food. And in the background, he's listening to my podcast. Ironically enough, he's listening to an episode where I'm talking about gold mining stocks that had just hit a new uh, seven-year high. So it's kind of uh, ironic that you know I'm, the episode came out right around the time that, that gold did hit a, a new record high. But you know I'm creeping into the mainstream. I mean, they don't actually mention like that it's the Peter Schiff Show podcast. So you don't know that it's Peter Schiff unless you listen and you know my voice. <laughs> uh, but if you watch that show, uh, you know, you'll, you'll get a kick out of it. Although I, maybe I spoiled it for you now by telling you uh, that, that it's there. Uh, but, but in any event, the announcement I wanted to make is, is not about that, that, that Showtime show. Um, it's about Shift Gold. You know, I talk about Shift Gold a lot, but I actually sold Shift Gold seven years ago to gold money. And, and so I haven't owned it. I have had a, a marketing deal with the company, so I did have a, a vested interest in the company's financial success based on the marketing agreement that I had with the company. Uh, and I always maintained, uh, you know, not control, but I was able to approve uh, all of their policies, their, 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 the, the products they sold and the markups they charged because if they didn't uh, follow my principles, then I wasn't going to promote them anymore. So I, I, I didn't directly control it, but I indirectly did because you know I was promoting Shift Gold on the condition that they didn't overcharge the customers and they, they sold the right type of product because otherwise I wasn't going to let them uh, use my name. And so everything went you know went well for the seven years. Uh, but what happened today? is I closed the transaction to buy the company back. And so now it is back in uh, the, my family name. It's owned by a trust. Uh, but now it's, 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 it's back in the Schiff family. It's no longer part of, of, uh, of gold money. And remember, you know, the real reason I got involved in gold money to begin with was because I really wanted to help them achieve their goal of making gold money. Uh, remember, that, that company started out as BitGold, and then they, they bought James Turk's company in, in Jersey, and they, they, they took his name, Gold Money. But the idea was to introduce gold, reintroduce gold as money. But the regulators up in Canada put a stop to that, and they had to pretty much abandon that. And so Gold Money you know, became just a, a gold company. They sell gold, and they store it for you. I mean, they use the Internet. Uh, but, you know, it, it wasn't there to revolutionize, they gave up that. They gave up that goal and that mission, unfortunately, because, you know, Roy Sabag and the people that really believed in it, right, they, they, they really wanted to do that. They just, you know, ran smack into these government roadblocks because the governments didn't want them to succeed because it was a threat to their, you know, fiat monopoly. You know, they don't give a damn about, like, Bitcoin because Bitcoin isn't a threat. What's a threat is gold. Because gold is better money, and gold works better as a medium of exchange and as a unit of account, and certainly as a store of value than any of the paper that these central banks are creating. So they had to put a stop to what gold money was trying to do uh, with regulation. The cost was just prohibitive, and the company couldn't afford it. Even though they had a lot of cash from their IPO, they still couldn't afford it. Uh, so the company kind of gave up on that a long time ago. And so it just kind of made sense uh, for me to just, you know, 
get out get out of the deal and and, and they were moving in a different direction too uh, and so that was kind of a catalyst uh, for you know just kind of uh, uh, you know to break it apart what what we did and so now the, the the company is back independent and it also takes a lot of costs you know there were some extra costs that shift gold had to absorb as being part of a public company so we don't we don't have those costs anymore uh, that that shift gold is now just a, just a private company once again so uh, and it's and I think it's a um, I don't know if a coincidence or or a good omen that on the very day that transaction closed on the first of December, 2023, that's the day that gold broke out uh, to a new all-time record high, and there is a good chance, and I've been saying this, that once we really get uh, some distance between gold and 2,000, and I would say we need to take out 2,100. Uh, just take out that number because I think once we're above 2100, okay, we're $100 above 2000. I mean, we've proved that gold can get, you know, above 2000 and that now it's above 2100. And I think once we really do that, gold's not going to look back. I mean, that's my, my guess. I mean, if, if you think you're going to get a chance to buy gold cheap, you're not. This is as cheap as it's probably going to get. I mean, could go down a little bit. But you're not going to get a big drop from here. You've got to throw in the towel and buy it, right? If you've been waiting for a big drop, you know, you're not probably, you're probably not going to get it. Uh, and you're just going to just be standing at the train station and, and, you know, watching the train from a distance. And I think that's particularly true uh, with these mining stocks. So I think that my guys now at, at Shift Gold will, will be working over the weekend, you know, you can give them a call uh, and you can buy gold. I mean, even though the stock market is closed on Saturday and Sunday, you can still buy gold. You can still buy silver. Uh, and if you want to get in before what could be an explosive rally. Now, again, I didn't I wasn't waiting for 2070. I've been pounding the table right on gold, uh, but it's still close to 2000. And if 2000 is the bottom now. Right, which it probably is, you know, uh, then you're, pro- you're pretty damn close to the bottom buying gold at 2,070. Uh, but if gold is bottoming at 2,000, then silver is an even better buy at 25 bucks. Because there's no way, right? I, I mean, I can't see a way that gold keeps rising and silver doesn't make a new high. I mean, I guess it could happen, but it's never happened before. You've never had a bull market in gold that didn't include silver. So I don't think this is going to be the exception to that rule. I think that silver is going to catch up and ultimately pass gold as far as percentage gainer. So if you've already got your gold and you don't have any silver yet, here's your chance. Right? So you can talk to the guys over at uh, Shift Gold. You know, it's, Shift Gold is the name. We, we picked one metal because it's, it's shorter. <laughs> but you can still buy, buy, your, buy your silver there. I also wanted to follow up on um, the um, my defamation a win, uh, which the reporters are still trying to pretend that that, that they didn't lose, including now uh, this uh, real schmuck. And you gotta you know <laughs> forgive my Yiddish over at the New York Times, who I didn't even sue. Right? You figured this guy would be a little nicer to me since I didn't even sue him. Right. I didn't sue the Times. I went after 
the, uh, the, the, the Australian, the Australian guys. And yeah, his article wasn't as bad, right? If that's the, 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 you know, the, the, the way I'm going to look at it, right? It's, um, it wasn't as bad, right? As the Australian articles, but it was still bad. And again, the worst part was that they wrote the articles in the first place. You got to know if you write an article in a major newspaper and you say, hey, here's this small bank that's the target of this major uh, investigation of five governments and they think they're banking the mob. They're, they're helping organized criminals and drug traffickers, right? All these bad people are working at this little bank and you're going to write a news story about it you know that you are going to destroy that bank, which is why you don't write the story. You have the decency to wait and see what the investigation finds. If you happen to find out about it illegally because you've got a corrupt government source who whispered it in your ear. You know, these reporters, you know, what are the reasons these guys are so liberal? And I'm sure this guy, Matt Goldstein, is, you know, is, is pretty much a socialist-type liberal guy. I mean, I don't really know too much about him, nor do I give a damn about him. Um, but one of the reasons these reporters are so liberal is because you know, they don't create anything. They don't build anything. They don't start companies. They don't hire people. They don't create jobs. They don't innovate. Uh, they don't do anything, really, to make the world a better place. And they, they don't achieve anything. So instead of building something up, they tear something down, right? He probably got a kick out of the fact that he helped tear down my bank. Yes, I didn't create a bank. Peter Schiff did, but I helped destroy his bank, right? That's all they can do. They can't succeed on their own. All they can do is help other people fail. Now, fortunately, I didn't fail. He may have helped kill one of my businesses, but I still have others, right? Uh, and, and, And so he didn't kill me. Uh, yes, he caused me to lose tens of millions of dollars, but at least I had the tens of million dollars to lose. What does this guy have? Probably nothing, right? He probably has a tiny net worth uh, working as a reporter uh, uh, at the New York Times. Uh, but they also get envious, they get jealous, and they don't like capitalism because they don't think they're getting uh, their fair share. Well, they are because they don't really do anything. And especially these reporters who are basically shills for the government. I mean, they're not even doing anything to, 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 to ferret out the, the truth. Uh, no. But what really pisses me off now about this guy, Matt Goodson, Goldstein, Goldstein. It's ironic, too, that the guy's got the word gold in his name. But Matt Goldstein, uh, he finally wrote an article about my defamation win. Except he refused to put in the article that I won my case. After I told him, because he reached out to me, I didn't talk to him, we, 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 we shared text. And I told him how important it was to not say that I settled the case. And you know what he did? He wrote that I settled the case. And he also wrote uh, that the case was resolved. So Peter Schiff resolved his defamation case. I didn't resolve it, I won it. <laughs> he doesn't want to say that. He doesn't want to say that the Australian media people that he worked with lost. They lost their case. They didn't settle it. They didn't resolve it. I beat the pants off of them. 
I won seven consecutive judgments in a row. That's never been done. Maybe the Guinness people can put me in the book of world records. Nobody has won seven uh, judgments in a row against the same respondent. And that means that uh, these reporters set a record of losing. They're record-breaking losers. They lost seven times in a row. That's why they settled, because they had no option, because they lost so much. The only thing we settled was how much money they paid me. Everything else they lost. They lost on defamation. All their defenses they lost. They lost they, their first defense they lost. Their second defense they lost. Their third defense. There are judgments. I am going to put all of the seven judgments that I won and that these guys lost online. You know, by the way, you got to read these. I posted them up on Shift Radio. I haven't put them on the, the nine fraud station yet. But go to shiftradio.com. I posted the two hearings where these Australian reporters had their lawyer go to a judge to try to protect them from me talking bad about them on my podcast or on Twitter. They were crying to the judge, oh, Peter's going to call us names. This is, this is going to hurt our feelings. Uh, he could damage our careers. He's going to say bad things about us. Well, you know what? They should have thought about that before they tried to destroy or did destroy. They destroyed my banking career. They destroyed my bank. They said horrible things about me that were not true. Everything I say about them is true. So they're allowed to lie about me. They're allowed to accuse me of crimes they know I didn't commit. But then I'm not allowed to tell the world that they lied and that they misrepresented the results of their own investigation. They try to go to court to prevent me from telling the truth to their own audience that they've been lying to, right? So you, you will get a laugh. I put the hearings. It's so embarrassing, you know. I mean, I actually felt embarrassed for these guys. But, you know, I mean, I liked it too. It made, it made me laugh. I got a little bit of a satisfaction out of it. But read the, the re- you won't even believe it. I put, there's two hearings, and they're both there. So part one and part two, read them. But I'm going to have all these judgments up there that I won. But again, if I didn't accept their settlement, it would have dragged on for many, many more months. And then the judge would have awarded me less money than they gave me. That was the thing. They gave me more money than the judge was going to give me. And if I would have turned it down, then I was at risk because they could have said to the judge, you know, months and months later, Hey, you know, by the way, all this money we spent on legal bills, uh, Schiff has got to pay it because it's a waste because we offered him, you know, all this money and he turned it down, right? So I kind of had to take the money, but I didn't settle. I beat the crap out of them. I beat the pants off them. And the New York Times won't admit it because he wants to protect his friends, his fellow criminal journalists. It's like, you know, the mafia, right? They're, they got a, a code. You know, they, they all want to watch each other's back. But Matthew Goodson was involved in this whole thing. You know, there's, I, I challenged him on Twitter. He wrote in his uh, New York Times uh, article, and I guess the Times should just be wrapping fish, you know, uh, at this point, you know, based on the credibility of this guy. But he wrote in there, he said, others were surprised at how light Europe Pacific's customer vetting process was. That was a lie. He wrote that into his article, and it was a bold-faced lie. Nobody was surprised 
by how light <laughs> our vetting was. Everybody that they spoke to, and I know because I've got their notes, everyone they spoke to said that the vetting was surprisingly heavy, much heavier than they expected. People were saying that, you know, Euro-Pacific is a good bank, but you have to put up with their compliance. It's a pain in the ass. They put you through the ringer. They heard this over and over and over again. Nobody told them the opposite. Yet this guy lies, but he still doesn't want to say, oh, Schiff won this case. And what he also doesn't want to say is call out the Atlantis investigation as a complete failure because he talked about the fact that my bank was under investigation for money laundering and tax evasion and, and didn't really say, and the investigation found nothing. He tried to imply that it was some kind of success. You know what he did in this article? I mean, it should have been an article that, oh my God, you know, we really, we really uh, hurt this guy. My partners in this investigation defamed him and I feel badly about that, right? And I'm, you know, look, he, he, he prevailed and he won. No, no, he was basically defending the people that lost and trying to justify why what they did wasn't really that bad. Because after all, the police in the UK arrested two people 10 months ago that supposedly had some kind of connection to my bank. And he wrote that in there. So what? Two people in London, in Liverpool, this was in February. There was one news story. People arrest these guys, and they had some connection to my bank. What connection? Who knows? Because they've never released their names. Nobody knows who these people are. And no one, has, no one knows what's happened to them. It's been 10 months since the news stories about their arrest, and there hasn't been a single follow-up story about them. Yet this is the only thing, the only thing that has come out of the Atlantis investigation. Remember, Nick Rosniak, who wrote a, a, a good article, right, in the Daily Wire, right? The New York Times is trash, right? The Daily Wire is legitimate news, right? That's what people should be reading. All these mainstream newspapers are just regurgitated government pop, uh, uh, propaganda. But uh, the, the uh, Luke Rosniak contacted the IRS and said, hey, and, and the J5, what, what successes do you have? You know, what, who's been arrested? Who's been indicted? What, what is operating at Landis? What, what has it done? Nothing. Because there's nothing there. In my case, in my trial, the people I sued couldn't come up with a single person, a single person who was charged. They couldn't even bring up these people in the UK because there's no proof of anything with respect to these two people. Yet um, uh, Goldstein brings them up in an article that's supposed to be about me winning the defamation lawsuit and prevailing. He brings up this BS about these two people in Liverpool that got charged. Now think about it. If that's all that came out of Operation Atlantis, right, the biggest tax and money laundering investigation in world history. Five governments from all around the world descended on my tiny little bank and had this massive investigation. And what do they have to show for it? Well, there's a couple of blokes in Liverpool who, who got arrested 10 months ago for something. We're not sure what. And we don't even know if they had accounts at the bank or who the hell they were, but we're just going to say that it somehow was related 
uh, to, uh, uh, to, um, uh, to this Atlantis investigation. That's all they found? That in and of itself shows that it was a complete failure. You'd think the guy would say, you know, we feel a little bad because my buddies and I, you know, spilled the beans on this investigation. And it turned out that they were completely innocent. But the bank failed. You know, the bank went out of business. He doesn't want to accept that responsibility. He says, well, Osef put him out of business for not having enough capital. Well, first of all, why do you think the bank didn't have enough capital? Because you and your, you know, a-hole uh, um, associates in Australia destroyed it. It lost a fortune because you went out and told everybody that we were a bunch of criminals. And therefore, nobody could work with us. That's why we didn't have enough capital. But you know what? We weren't insolvent like that commissioner pretended. And I sold the bank. I had a now publicly traded company that was paying me a lot of money to buy the bank because they had vetted the bank. They knew the bank was fine. And then Osip decided because of the pressure from the reporters that put it on the IRS so they can all pretend my bank helped people launder money to evade taxes, uh, they shut the bank down. Now, he mentioned that I was fined $300,000. So in the same article, right, where I win a judgment, and of course, in Australian money, it was $550,000, but in U.S. money, it's closer to $350,000. He wants to point out that it's basically the same fine that I paid. It, and he's acting like, you know, I, I paid this $300,000 fine because the bank did something wrong. No, it was because the regulators did something wrong. The fine was for operating a bank without a license. They fined me $5,000 a day because I operated my bank without a license, which was BS. Because we actually operated it without a license for one year in the past where we, we actually filed late. And they, they, the, the regulators contacted us and say, hey, you guys forgot to renew your annual registration. And so we renewed it late and we paid a $500 fine, 500 bucks. And maybe we were late by a month or two. I don't remember. But that was the only time that we did it late. Now, the last time we filed on time, we filed early. It's $5,000. We sent them the wire. I've got the receipt for it. We wired in the $5,000. We filled out the application and we submitted it on time. And nobody from the Puerto Rican government contacted my bank, contacted my bank's attorney, contacted the company that was trying to buy the bank, right? We were talking to these regulators almost every day because they were you know, vetting this pending change of control. So we're in tight communication with the Puerto Rican banking regulators, talking to my company, talking to Kenta, talking to my lawyer. And all this time, we don't have a banking license. You would think somebody from OSIF would say, hey, you know, you guys, you know, your banking license relapsed. We didn't renew it. Now, why didn't they renew it? Well, <laughs> what they said, the reason they said they didn't renew it was because when we filed, we showed two and a half million dollars in capital and that was below the minimum. Yes, but we know that before the license expired, right? I sat in an office with the commissioner of OSIF and about seven or eight other people, and I offered to put $7 million more of capital into the bank, my own money. 
I said, I'll put it in. And the head of Osef, the head of the regular, told me, you don't have to do that. There's no reason to do that. You've already got the sale. The buyers are going to put in the extra capital. So you're fine right now. You can just stay where you are. You're fine with the $2.5 million capital you've got. And we'll just wait. Then, nine months later, when she, when she uh, puts the bank out of business, she says, oh, and by the way, you ha- you, you, we never approved your license renewal, and you have this fine. Now, the fine was initially closer to a million dollars. I got them to cut it down to 300000 right, instead of a million. But it was all for the not having enough capital. Well, why didn't they tell me that? Why didn't she tell me to put the capital in? That Look, all of this happened because of pressure from the IRS based on these reporters. But now this uh, Matthew Goldstein tries to throw in my face the fact, oh, the bank got shut down and the bank was fine. None of this would have happened had these reporters just kept their mouths shut and not written anything. My bank would be fine. The investigation would have ended and nobody would have known that I was suspected. And everything would be fine. My bank would be worth hundreds of millions of dollars probably today had they just kept their mouths shut. But, you know, what really irritates me is I think the reason the bank was shut down, the reason they had that press conference and all that was because I sued the reporters in Australia. That's how they punished me for suing them. They pulled some strings and they got a favor from the same government, corrupt government officials who leaked them illegally the information that my bank was being investigated. Why was my bank being investigated? Politics, right? All political. They didn't like what I said. They didn't like that I believe in small government. Well, this is why. Look what big government does. Look how corrupt government is. What the government did to me confirms all of my criticism of government. But because I dared to fight back, they took the whole bank away from me. That's the only, had I not sued uh, uh, 60 Minutes in the Age, at least the sale would have gone through. At least the bank would still be in business. It would just have a different name. I wouldn't own it. And all the customers would have never lost access to their money. It's now been over 17 months and um, not a single customer of the bank has gotten any of their money. And the only one getting money out of the bank is the receiver that Osef appointed to run the bank. He's making a fortune. Of course, the guy had no banking experience. He's, he's, I don't even know if he's ever been inside of a bank, but he told me he's, he's never worked at a bank or had any, any, any work related to a bank. I mean, he's done some bankruptcies before, but not of a financial institution, not of a bank. Uh, and so he was obviously put in charge of liquidating a bank despite having zero banking experience. But, you know, I offered to liquidate the bank myself. I could have done it, you know, in a couple of weeks. Now, it got complicated by the, Puerto Rican, uh, by the Portuguese government freezing the, uh, the, the bank's money in Portugal. But that was only done because of uh, the Puerto Rican regulators and the IRS and, 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 the, and the, the false things that they said uh, about the bank. But again, even then, I, I, I wanted the Puerto Rican government to intervene, and they just refused to do anything. I mean, they should have got on the phone with the Portuguese government and saying, hey, they didn't do anything wrong. But I think they were too afraid of coming public because at the press conference, 
when the head of OSIF said that there was no evidence of money laundering and tax evasion, I bet behind the scenes she got an earful. They didn't like that because that hurt the case for 60 Minutes Australia. So she didn't want to do anything to correct the record publicly that we didn't launder money or evade taxes because she, she was, the whole purpose was to create the false impression that I did. And, you know, I think maybe the, uh, the, the, this woman who runs uh, the, regu- the, regula- the regular body, she probably believed that if she got into bed with the IRS, right, and, and, and did their bidding and closed down my bank, uh, that it would help Puerto Rico. That, hey, you know, that we're going to send a strong message that, you know, we, we won't tolerate tax evasion and money laundering, even though my bank didn't do either of those. In fact, you know, we, if she would have simply embraced my bank and defended my bank, that would have been the best course of action because my victory, my defamation win, would have been a win for Australia, right? I mean, it would have been a win for Puerto Rico. The Puerto Rican banking sector would have benefited. But now the sector has been destroyed because it backfired. Because when, by allowing my bank to be shut down the way it was, and by having that press conference and letting the IRS and the J5 claim credit for shutting down my bank and allowing all these articles to be written about how my bank was shut down for money laundering and tax evasion, it destroyed Puerto Rico's banking reputation. Because after all, I did this right under the nose of the Puerto Rican regulators. How many years was I helping people launder money and evade taxes? And did the Puerto Rican regulators do anything about it? No, they did nothing. It was the IRS and the J5. So if they let my bank get away with it, what are all the other banks doing? She destroyed the reputation of the whole industry for Puerto Rico. So it backfired. All she had to do was stand by me. But what I I started to say earlier, that if these uh, newspapers had just kept their mouth shut, nothing would have happened to my bank. Absolutely nothing. And do the reporters, do they feel bad about it? No, no, they're they're happy. Why? Because they don't like me. They're probably resentful or envious of the fact that I've had some success and they haven't, right? Again, their success is destroying what other people create because they don't have the ability to create anything on on their own. Um, But anyway, so stay away from the New York Times, read read the Daily Wire, uh, and listen to the Peter Schiff Show because I tell the truth. Unlike these reporters who tell nothing but lies, I say what I mean and mean what I say. And you know that if I'm talking to you, uh, that I'm being honest. And if, I, and if I get it wrong, if I make a mistake, I'll admit that I made a mistake. Uh, unlike uh, uh, these, uh, these reporters who have absolutely no integrity. And that you know, is part of the worst part about it is when you go back and you look at what the 60 Minutes and these age journalists accuse me of doing. Uh, oh, he's unscrupulous. He, you know, they're the ones. They're the ones that are uh, breaking laws. They're the ones that have no morals and no principles and no scruples. Not me. I was the honest guy, uh, and they are the liars. And they have the nerve uh, to uh, falsely accuse me of this type of unethical behavior when they're the ones that are un- unethical. You know, I went to uh, Nick McKenzie's Wikipedia page, uh, which, by the way, you know, when it starts out. It, you know, it, it still it talks about the one uh, defamation lawsuit he, he won. Doesn't even mention the fact that he lost against mine. Now, way down in the page, you know, they, it got added uh, about my lawsuit, but it just said it was settled. Doesn't mention that he lost. You know, I, 
I tried to, somebody changed it to, he lost, and then somebody else quickly changed it. You know, they're trying to whitewash this guy's reputation. But one of the things it says in the introduction is that he's known for exposing corruption in politics. That's rich. He works with corrupt politicians. He's part of the corruption process. He is corrupt himself. And what my lawsuit did was expose that corruption. And then he tried to get a gag order on me to prevent me from talking about it. Well, you know what? I'm not going to shut up. I'm going to keep on telling the truth. And the lawsuits are not over because I'm pretty sure that I'm going to file a um, injurious falsehood claim against, uh, against the same uh, respondents that I just beat the pants off uh, in my, my defamation case. And in fact, based on the evidence I already have, the injurious falsehood claim, which I can get a lot more money out of, is going to be even easier to prove than the defamation, which was easy. Uh, and, and I wish I could, I could tie the New York Times into it. I'll look into that. Maybe I can. If I can, I, I would like to. I'm not really sure uh, if I can, I, I, can, I can throw that in. Again, their conduct wasn't as bad, but the guy is still a jerk uh, and still is defending his, his buddies and refuses to even give me a little bit right, of recognition. Hey, we got, we got the story wrong. It turns out the guy was innocent, right? That's what they should be saying. The bank was innocent, not focusing on the fact that we got shut down because we didn't have enough capital, right, or I got a fine for having an expired license. None of that would have happened. You'd think they, it, they, they, they wouldn't have taken away my banking license. They, they, nothing bad would have happened to this bank had it not been the subject of these stories. Everything bad that happened, down to the, the bank being shuttered, all was a consequence of these false allegations. And nobody cares, you know, in the media. And no other, no other newspapers, right? It's, forget the New York Times. No other mainstream publications have contacted me. They don't even talk about this in Australia. You would think, I just took down their star reporter, exposed him as a liar and a fraud, and nobody cares. Even the competitors of this guy's company don't care. That, that must mean they might be just as corrupt. And so they're in a glass house and they don't want to throw stones. The entire uh, media establishment is obviously corrupt. And it's alternative media, like, like mine, right? Like, like, thank God for the internet, and the Peter Schiff Show podcast, because I, I can get information directly to the public. If it wasn't for that, all you'd have is the lies uh, by the New York Times or the other mainstream media. So keep on listening to the Peter Schiff Show podcast to get the truth and forget about all these purveyors of government propaganda. Anyway, that's it for tonight. I've, I've been going on for like an hour and 10 minutes ranting here. So for those of you who have stuck it out this long, uh, remember to uh, like uh, like uh, the, the, this, uh, this video and, uh, and uh, comment and share it. Anyway, have a great weekend, everybody.